0: there. You're listening to the Collective Church podcast recorded live at Collective Church in Roanoke, Texas with lead pastor Rob Carmack. Enjoy the sermon. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Lamentations chapter one. Um, so not to not to just cut us off. I'm, I'm really sorry if it felt like if, if that felt abrupt. So um, I, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody for your wisdom and all that. Um, so today, or well, last week we started a series on on grief. And we started talking about, um, uh, basically, we, we looked at Lamentations chapter one, and we talked about how in order to grieve for anything, the first thing we have to be able to do is name it. Like, you, you can't grieve for something if you, if you can't name the thing that you're grieving. And that uh, a lot of times our, our default setting is to be in denial about the thing that we're grieving. Are we Are we on? hey there everybody um whoever's watching um so if um, so if if we're grieving the first thing that we're invited to do is to acknowledge the thing that we're grieving because a lot of times i think a lot we don't even know that that we are grieving we're just we're we're having a hard time we don't know exactly why and i think a lot of times it's because we haven't been able to name the thing that we've lost or the thing that we're struggling with and so um so that's what we talked about last week and so today we're going to kind of move that to the external, and we're going to talk about what uh, we're going to talk about the grief of others, and what it means for us to to see and experience and empathize with others. And I I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years, I have been I'm going to use the word um, disheartened, but that that feels like too too light a word. Uh, disheartened to see how cold we can be regarding the suffering of other people. Like I, I remember. Um, not not too deep into the pandemic, I remember there was um, an elected official from Texas who um, went on TV and basically um, invited people to sacrifice their lives. But he, he, I forget exact, the exact quote, but basically what this person said was, this, this illness, this pandemic is mostly affecting people who are elderly and people who already have preexisting conditions. Therefore, those people should sacrifice themselves on the altar of trying to keep the economy at a normal pace, right? And I mean, I'm not anti-economy, but when you start being like, your, your kid's grandparents should be willing to, to die as a result of um, th- this thing, sh- should be should be eager to do And I, I think he even said like, grandparents are willing to do this for their kids. And I was like, I, I don't know any grandparents who are willing to do that <laughs> for their kids. Um, and, and just this, this rhetoric of, I mean, this very cold sort of like, yeah, lots of people are dying. But that's not but, but it's okay because it's people who a lot of people who have we, we've sort of deemed to be expendable. And so we've kind of we, we had this very like cold kind of rhetoric regarding how we talked about the pandemic because, well, it's only affecting people who have pre-existing conditions or only affecting people of a certain age, or only affecting people of a certain like like health background or whatever. And what it did was it sort of created this this language around, people dying as if to say, well, it's okay, because it's only happening to those people. And what it did was it sort of removed us from the suffering of people who were suffering and people who were dying. And I remember I had a, I had a close family member um, who ended up in the hospital with COVID for a couple of weeks. And we thought, we, we really thought he might die. And I remember thinking uh, there was a certain point, um, thankfully he, he, he came out of it okay, um, but there was a certain point while he was in the hospital that I thought, if he dies, there'll be a certain portion of the population that explains it away and says oh it's uh, yeah it happened but he was older or he was a he, he was a like a taller person or like he like like there there there, there are all sorts of ways of, of, of sort of like writing off like how this person like why this person passed away because well it happened but dot 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 and it's a really like it's a terribly cold way of talking about the suffering and the death of other people. And we're at a point now where over seven hundred and fifty thousand people have died in the US of this illness. And we're we're still kind of struggling with whether or not to take it like to, to to take the suffering of other people seriously. And I, I'm not saying like whether or not, like if you personally are not concerned about like whether or not you're going to catch the disease or whatever, like that's that's a whole other thing. That's up to you. But like how we talk about the death and the suffering of others, like that's a problem when, when it becomes just a, a statistic to us or it becomes something that we can just sort of coldly write off as somebody else's problem or something that won't affect us because it hasn't yet or because it's it's for th- that's for other people. And I, I think one of the things that the, the book of Lamentations does is it invites us to not stand at a distance and and to not be like have that posture when it comes to the suffering and the struggles of others. So we're we're going to look at Lamentations one and we, we we're going to revisit some of the things that we talked about last week, but we're going to take it a little bit further. So in Lamentations one it, you, you have different narrators throughout the book of Lamentations. And the first narrator is just like, sort of like a cold removed narrator, a, a like kind of, kind of a, a person who is describing what has happened. So in Lamentations one, beginning in verse one, it says, this is all in your bulletin, by the way, if you have one, um, it says, how deserted lies the city once so full of people. And we talked last week about how the book of Lamentations is a response to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And so Lamentations is how it, it's when it says the city, it's referring to Jerusalem. It says, how like a widow is she? And anytime you see the, a feminine pronoun in Lamentations, it's a reference to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is often per- personified as a, a woman in, in Lamentations. How like a widow is she once, uh, who once was great among the nations? She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave bitterly, she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. And then if you jump down to verse five, it says, her foes have become her masters, her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. And then if you go to verse eight, it says, Jerusalem, the city, has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. So now we're going to full, like talk, we talked about blame a second ago, but now, now the, the narrator is blaming the city for, for their own destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her has, had, uh, despise her, for they have seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed so um so in most of this the narrator feels removed and, uh, and judgmental even about the, the suffering of the city as if the city deserves what, what she gets this has happened but the city whatever happened here it happened because the city deserved it and then if you look at verse 11 it says all her people groan as they search for bread they barter their, their treasures for food to keep themselves alive and then then at this point the woman the, the city interrupts him and every time she speaks notice it gets a little bit more raw it gets a little bit more angst filled so in verse uh, so it talks about they bartered their treasure for food to keep themselves alive and then the woman speaks the city speaks look lord and consider for i am despised and then um is it nothing she continues is it nothing to you all you who pass by look around and see is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me that the lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger so the narrator is blaming, we talked about this last week, but the narrator is blaming the city, but the woman, the city, is blaming God. And then in um, verse 16, it says, this is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. And then in verse 21, it says, people have heard my my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress, They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so that they may become like me. So the woman, the city, is speaking here. And every time she speaks, she gets a little bit more open. She gets a little bit more raw and also a little bit more desperate. No one is here to see my suffering. So then, and and notice, and again, the narrator, all the narrator does is sort of explain what's happening and judge the woman for what's happening. But then if you notice in chapter 2, verse 11, there's a shift. And this is the narrator speaking in verse 11, not the not the woman. The narrator says, "My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city." So now, all of a sudden, what has happened to the narrator? He can no longer stand at a distance. We are 30 verses into the book of Lamentations, and the narrator fully breaks down. It, it, this, is, this is like if, if a reporter on the news just all of a sudden said, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't do this anymore. I mean, the narrator can no longer stand at a distance. His, he says, my eyes fail from weeping. There's a woman in Kathleen O'Connor who's written a commentary on the book of Lamentations, and she writes about verse 11 here where the narrator breaks down. She writes, the previously disengaged narrator now becomes her, the city's, the, woman, the, 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 the woman's passionate advocate. So in chapter one, the narrator is judging her. In chapter two, the narrator is joining her. He has found a way, like he has seen what she has gone through, and he is saying this, like something is deeply broken here. He can't just be judgmental anymore. He says, my eyes fail from weeping. He, is, he has found a way towards empathy. He has witnessed her pain so long, for so long that his his judgment has turned into empathy. I was thinking in the last service about how, um, I remember before, before we had kids, uh, I remember any time I would fly on a plane and there was a crying baby, um, I remember like kind of being judgmental <laughs> about that, about sort of like, why can't you just make your baby stop crying, or why is there a crying baby on this plane? Like I would have like no patience at all. But then after we had kids, I became so deeply compassionate towards anyone with a crying baby on a plane. You know what I mean? And so like something shifts in you and. I mean, honestly, the, the real thing is, like, I probably should have had that level of compassion before. Like, it, it, shouldn't have ha- it shouldn't have required me to have kids to feel compassion for people whose babies cry on planes. Um, but it did because I'm not great at... I'm not, it's, it's a self-blame thing, you know what I mean? And so, um, but, but what, what ends up, up happening a lot of times is it's easy to stand off to a distance and see other people struggling and to have very little compassion and to have very little sense of like what must it feel like for this person to go through what they're going through um but then what we see in, in lamentations 2:11 is the narrator says i can't stand at a distance anymore i, I can't just like w- witness this and not feel something he says my eyes fail from weeping so then in chapter three which is the third poem the, it's uh, lamentations is a series of poems in chapter three which is the third poem we're introduced to a new character. So far there's been two characters. There's the narrator and the woman, or the city. And then in in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we're introduced to a third character. So the third character says, I am a man, and the word man here, it it could also be translated as I am the one, or I I am, the the Hebrew word here is geber, which, which is a goofy sounding word. But anyway, I am the geber who has seen the affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. So um, the word, the word man or one or geber here literally is translated defender of the weak women and children. It actually has military connotations to it. it this is, this is um, basically someone who whose role in the world is to defend people who are, strugg- who are struggling. And um, the geber, the one, is fresh from the scene of destruction. And says, I have seen the affliction. And to see here is synonymous with experience. It's not just I've seen this. It's not just that I've witnessed people's babies crying on planes. It's I have been in the present. I, I have been responsible for a baby crying on a plane, right? Or something along. The, I mean, that's that's a silly example. But it, it's basically a way of saying like, yeah, it's, it's one thing to see. It's a whole other thing to experience. And the Geber here says, I have experienced the suffering of the city. So he just launches into a rant out of this. So in verse 2, he writes, he, God, has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and, my bro- and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of, of stone he has made my paths crooked. So he's saying God has made things very difficult for me, basically, is a, is, is a way of saying, like, not, only, like not, not unlike what we talked about before in Psalm 60, he is, he's given me, like, bad wine to drink, and, like, now I, now I stumble. Um, so the, the Geber is saying God has made things very difficult for me. And then in verse 15, he writes, he God has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my te- He has broken my teeth with gravel, which is very graphic. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So he he I mean he just goes on and on. God has broken my teeth with gravel. This this is graphic, brutal language, and he actually kind of begins to blame God for all the pain. But then in verse 21, He told the Geber totally shifts gears in verse 21. He writes this. He says, Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seek him. Uh, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. So he starts out with, God has made me bitter. God has broken my teeth with gravel. But then he goes on and he says, yet there may be hope. So which is it? Do you have hope or are you filled with doubt and despair? Do you, like, are, are you hopeful or have your teeth been broken with gravel? um, which one is it? Make up your mind, Gieber. So one one theologian uh, says that this Gieber has what he refers to as an entangled theology. So what that means is for this guy, hope and despair sit side by side. Two things can be true at the same time. And this, again, this is referred to as entangled theology. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us can relate to, yeah, things are hard and things are difficult and I don't know what to do. Yet I'd feel a sense of maybe things could get better, maybe maybe there is uh, maybe maybe the sun will rise tomorrow, and both things can be true at the same time. How many of us can relate to that? I think I think lots of people in Christian circles have been sold a bill of goods that hope is the absence of all these other less positive emotions, like there are the good emotions that say that um, it, that all thi- everything's going to be okay, but then there are the bad emotions that tell you that Maybe thing, th- things are a real struggle. Like, wh- which, which thing am I allowed to feel? And um, a lot of Christians, I think, have been told, well, you're only supposed to feel the good emotions. You're only supposed to pray the good thoughts. Um, but I would imagine that a lot of us have a more entangled theology than that. A lot of us can relate to the Geber in, in Lamentations 3 that says, yeah, my, my teeth are broken with gravel. I've, seen the, I've experienced dark things, yet I have some sense of hope. Where does all of it start? It starts with someone seeing the struggle and the pain of the woman. It begins in a place of empathy, and it goes to, I, I, I see despair. I see um, struggle and hopelessness. And so it leads to an entangled theology. When we see the struggles of other people and we don't know what to do with it, it can, it can give us a really entangled sense of, well, which is it? Do I have hope or do I have despair? And I think the writer of Lamentations is saying, like, yes. like yeah, there, there's, but Both things can be true at the same time. Some of us, I think, probably need to, to learn how to see the struggles of others. Some of us need to learn how to be more empathic to, when, when, we, when we see people suffering or struggling. That, that's been a thing that has, um, it's been difficult in, in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of seeing people s- suffer and struggle. Um, and it's been difficult to, to see relationships fracture because someone has a struggle, Some, someone got sick, and then someone else said, yeah, but did you really? You know what I mean? And, and, or um, we see this when we talk about race in the US. We hear people of color tell us stories about what it means to, um, to, to fall prey to things like police brutality or um, systemic racism. And then to have other people in the population say, yeah, but did you really? You know what I mean? And so like, it's easy for us to stand at a distance. It's a whole other thing for us to, to, to witness and to experience somebody else somebody else's struggles and to hear what they have to say. And then to respond to that, like the, like the narrator doesn't say, my eyes fail from weeping. So, sometimes the thing that is called out of us is empathy for people whose struggles we don't fully understand. I should have I had compassion for people whose babies were crying before I had babies who cried. you know. And so um, some of us need to see the struggle of others. Some of us need to, 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 to find it within ourselves to join with the woman who weeps, with with the people who struggle. Some of us though need to reckon with our entangled theology and accept that it's okay to feel hope and hopelessness at the same time and that it's not sinful for us to feel both things, that both are part of the the overall experience and the overall story. So for those of us who um, need to see the struggles and the pain of others, and for those of us who need to be able to say, my eyes fail from weeping. May we find ourselves joining with, with others as they struggle and as, as they suffer. Um, and for those of us who are trying to reconcile what it means to have both hope and ho- despair at the same time, may, may we uh, come, to, come to peace with our entangled theology. May we live inside the tension where both things can be true. And may we find um, that the book of Lamentations has so much more to say to us as we reconcile these things. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for uh, this time and the space. We thank you for the gift of entangled theology, that we can have both an experience of hope and an experience of struggle all at the same time. And for those of us who are in desperate need of learning to be more compassionate when other people articulate their struggles, may we find it within us to do that. May we join with the struggles and the suffering of others. May we be like the Geber who experiences suffering of those around us may we not be cold to this when when there is so much suffering that we don't know what to do may our eyes may we recognize that our eyes sometimes can fail from weeping may we find hope but may we also not ignore the feelings of hopelessness may we embrace and live inside of the tension of our entangled theology And may we become more empathic people as a result. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This has been the Collective Church Podcast. We post episodes every week on Sundays. If you're interested in supporting our church, you can give at collectivechurch.net slash give. I hope you enjoyed listening.